Loom memory fragments. Warp time. Weft love. 992 years after the Cypher War. When Lance opens his eyes, it all slips away from him, leaving only tattered whisper feels, heart pulls, loss. He's known for a long time to try not to hold on to it, so he lets it go, starts to wake up his body. His right side is cold, the only part of him uncovered. His left side, wrinkled sheets. In front of him, a tousled thatch of honey-brown hair, soft neck, tan back, and peach fuzz ass curving into his black-blue flesh and crotch. Lance lightly traces the thigh pressed up against his, dark fingers like loving shadows stroking the sand dunes aside of Camelot's walls. He becomes aware of another hand resting on his belly, a sorrel arm thrown over him, red-tinted brown skin warming his back, tickling breaths against the place where his ear meets his jaw. He fits so perfectly between the two of them, their bodies the walls of his true home, no matter how far he travels. He's always here when he closes his eyes. Well, almost always. As he slow extricates himself from between Art and Quen, the ring on the middle finger of his left hand is glowing. It's not blinking in the way he knows means it's urgent, but it shines with a vibrant need, a sweet yearning that's responded to from deep within him. When it isn't on, looks like a dull piece of smoky chrome smoothed out into a circle, almost invisible on his dark skin. But when it awakens, no matter how the ring is turned, whichever surface he was looking at contained a tiny, violet glimmer image. It looked like a blocky fork, but a history hipster told him once for a kiss that it was an abstract symbol of an ancient tower, that the top part was a parapet, and the two gaps, crenels, where usually people shot things from to attack invaders below. Lance stands, stretching, and looks behind him to see Art shift to lying on his back. Quen nuzzled against Art's shoulder, filling up the empty space Lance had left. He wonders if that's what would happen if he was ever lost to them, killed during a fight outside Camelot, or an epic battle in cipher space. Would they just take up more space with each other? His curious, almost insecurities recede as Art's hand twitches, his brow furrowed, murmuring as if looking for Lance. The knight grins dotingly, leans over, kisses Art in the forehead, and the bearer of the caliber immediately quiets back to slumber. He catches Quen's chestnut eyes as he writes himself, their full liquid shine as mesmerizing as her long locks of the same color. It's one of the rare times when they were down and about her shoulders, and he couldn't help but reach over, run his hands through them, his fingertips grazing the shaved fuzz of her undercut made her look so tough and posing when she sat on council. As he gathers up her coils, he pulls her head towards him and gently rubs his nose against hers, their bodies making an arch over Art's resting form. You're going to the fair, she says calmly as he lets go over. Your ring's all lit up. Yeah, I don't think Camelot needs me today. Centuries say it looks quiet on the outside, so I don't think we'll get any rays from the dusk. We don't have a council meeting till tonight. What's it mean? Quinn interrupts. What's the ring for, Lance? He turns away from her as he pulls on his leather pants. I don't know, Quinn. I usually remember when I get online, but when I'm in Camelot, I just know I need to go. Quinn gets up and stands behind him, her hand lightly caressing his shoulder blades. 
The tension he didn't know he was holding eases away from him, and he leans back into her apple-shaped curves. In silence, they stand in the exec suite that all three of them shared, a privileged place in Sector 1 of Camelot. The weight of that privilege lay heavy on all of them, having all come from Sectors 97 to 99, so they kept the furnishings in the room deliberately sparse as a nod to their origins. However, each detail had been agreed upon and discussed thoroughly, so that their home reflected each other. The synthetic polyfiber walls were the same chestnut brown as Quen's eyes and hair. The plush microtensile carpet was the metallic purple of Art's pupils. All furniture, including the circular bed that Art seems to be floating in alone, was the glossy green platinum white of Lance's locks. The three rooms of their exec suite also held one removable mounted multi-faced tablet, the eating area programmed for Lance, the washing area for Quen, the bedroom for Art. Right now, Lance and Quen stare at the automated slideshow Art had set up on his tablet when he wasn't facing with it. A parade of snapshots flickers slowly across the stream. As early as their time together, meeting in the meal room as teenage squires and a lady-in-waiting of the RTC, all the way to last week's victory dinner Lance had cooked after another dusk fight. Can I go with you this time? Quinn asks into the comfortable silence. Let me think about it, love, Lance says gently. The instructions were pretty clear when I got the ring that I had to always go alone, and porting has always been pretty rough on you. She nods and gives the skin over his spine a parting kiss before she steps away, so he can shrug on his city-wide recognizable sigil-code-strewn vest. Knee-high, pale boots were strapped on last. All he needs is a synth tool, and he would look just like out of the hollow movies made of him and Art, bearers of lake and caliber. But neither him nor Art were permitted to keep their synths and their domicile like other execs due to their synth-specialized natures. You are going to initialize Lake before you go to the fair, right? Quen asks worriedly, and Lance gives her a warm squeeze. You know I'm not authorized to port without it, he murmurs onto the top of Quen's head. In the kitchen, she gives him a last kiss goodbye before he leaves for the door and steps on the track. Lance begins to lightly jog down its length, seeing the familiar wall of the round table in the distance. When they had first been allotted this domicile, having all recently been risen into full-fledged knights of House X and House Lake and a lady of House Leo, the track had just been a silvery metal straight path that took an hour to walk and thirty minutes to run. On either side was the silicon green plastic substrate that made up the floor of Sector 1, as well as several tracks that led to the RT from other metal dome domiciles. After a few years, as their influence continued to grow on Council, they had gotten authorization from the RT to decorate their track. They decided that the right side of their track would be an exercise obstacle course for combat training and fitness, and the left side of the track would be filled with art sculptures and lances and Quen's flowers. Today, the dim lighting of Sector 1 indicates that it's early morning, so Lance isn't surprised when he doesn't see anyone else on their tracks on their way to the RT. Lance still has time to quickly admire the hedge K and Perk's been growing and sculpting on their shared track and the colorful lighting Bedev had just installed on Zir track while he lopes toward the RT. By the time he gets to the entrance, he's covered in a light sweat. Lance looks up at the familiar dark gray wall of the round table that reaches the pale metal ceiling. Though it's a blur in the distance, he knows that this part of the RT also reaches Sector 1's walls from end to end, a darker mass against the silver and green. 
The doorway he faces is a faint outline of the metal, interrupted in the center by a circular lock whose combination was only known to those in his domicile. He spins the numbers with his right hand by habit, not even really looking anymore, and the door swings inward. As he shuts it behind him, the greeting chamber lights up. He had long ago asked the RTC to install a shower stall and clothing rack for him and his household in case they had exercised on the way, a common request from domiciles, and he avails himself of these privileges now. He drops his pants in the washing bin and, after a quick shower and towel dry, picks out duplicate leather trousers. He sprays down and dries his vest, straps his boots back on, and steps out of the greeting chamber into the RT main lobby. This early, only a few squires and ladies-in-waiting are behind the unending lobby desk that loops set of sight on the other side. He crosses the metal expanse towards one squire, who recognizes him immediately and does the awkward gape of a newbie. Lance quickly calculates the hilarity versus effort formula of hazing the kid, decides that it's not worth it plus the newbie had Quinn's reddish-brown features underneath the boy's long black hair. Perhaps the same broodmother? Sir, the squire stammers. Squire, uh, Trell, sir. Uh, how can I serve you today, Sir Lance? Uh, thank you, Squire Trell. I'll be accessing my synth and porting into cyberspace on personal business. The squire blinks at him, and then slowly becomes flushed, a deep shade of mahogany. It's clear the kid's completely forgotten protocol and is terrified of being discharged. So I'll be signing in to two separate log sheets. Lance continues gently and patiently. One for the synth access and one for fair access. You'll find them in the Roundtable Corpore Executive Drive, main folder Knights, subfolder House Lake, direct file Lance. Squire Trell seems to snap into sentient movement, backing away before turning to flee through the door behind him. Lance leans against the counter and stares down at his ring, twisting it to and fro on his finger. He looks around to see two ladies-in-waiting, one with curly black hair and another with short, spiked hazel hair, whispering to each other and giggling maliciously, no doubt about Trell. As Lance catches them, they straighten right away, the curly-haired one running off back to her post. Lance makes a note to himself to give Trell a commendation, hopefully evening out what would no doubt be endless teasing for days. Trell returns, still flushed, now completely out of breath, holding two rolled-up parchments and a pen with trembling fingers. Lance plucks them out of the squire's hands and deftly writes down his name, the date, time, and reason for access on both parchments. He knows the squire is usually the one who's supposed to be writing in the log sheets, but he figured he'd cut the kid some slack and just record what he'd told him seconds ago. As Lance writes, he knows eventually he'd be called to task for how many times he'd been going to the fair on personal business most likely by his matriarch, the Lady of House Lake. He hopes that when the time comes, he'll have a satisfactory answer for her, not vague feelings of yearning and determination coiled in his gut. When Lance hands back his log sheets, the squire remembers to stammer out if Lance requires an escort to his synth vault and the RT port. Lance smiles and shakes his head. The squire quivers, a smile in return, before racing back to the RTC exec drive with the scrolls, Lance heads over to the stairwell, climbing down a level to the vaults, as opposed to the upper floors that held the various drives and departments that ran Camelot. He walks down a corridor lined with more doors and locks until he comes upon the one that's his alone, the farthest one with the heaviest door. Still not the caliber, of course, that would be another level down, 
behind a series of vaults only Art and his predecessors knew the combination to, with the first vault being cleverly disguised. Though, it's been the hope that any would-be thief would confuse Lake's vault for X's. The Lady of House Lake could always design another cutting-edge synth prototype, but the caliber, she says, is impossible to be reforged. Once his vault swings open, he strides over to the box in the center of the empty chamber, mounted on a pedestal. The floor itself is the next lock, and he steps on the right combination of tiles to keep the ground from vanishing and turning into a pit deep enough that no one would hear his bones shatter when they hit rock. His synth lay in the box, a bracelet of platinum plate metal that molds against his wrist, locked to his DNA, the final sequence. Lance exits his vault the same way he enters and heads down several more flights of stairs to six levels below Sector One's ground. There, he enters a spacious circular chamber, the same metal color and texture as everything else, almost identical to the RTC Executive Council's meeting room that was six levels above ground. The difference, however, is that there is no oak-colored table that the cushioned black chairs are positioned around, just empty space. Also different from the council room is that here each chair is tilted backwards, reclining, with stakes protruding from below the head cushion. Lance eases into his chair, sliding backward and using his left hand to make sure the stake is going to the port of the base of his skull, the one that had been installed when he was risen to knighthood. As he leans back into it, his stake clicking into place, his synth comes alive, like sprouting wires that penetrate the chair in its prime and cipherware the feature of his synth that differentiated it from all others except the caliber. Only the lake and the caliber alone had both prime and cipher power. The chair begins to hum and warm up as the lake turns it on according to Lance's will. The knight closes his eyes and feels the chair slipping away from him as his consciousness falls into cipher space, into the fair. Memories begin to upload into his brain about why he's here, what calls to him. A few months ago, when Lance opened his eyes, he groaned, realizing two fragfuck facts. Number one, he had fallen asleep during a delegation dinner party, of which his matriarch would undoubtedly tongue-lash him if news got to her. And number two, he did not wake up in his bed with his loves, but was still at this fuckbore of a meal. The place was posh, he gave it that. The high she knew how to entertain and impress mere mortals, that was for sure. Everything was a riot of color, so different from the bland, metallic shades of Camelot. This one, with vermilion skin, emerald hair and eyes, and a frilly dress of cerulean violet and gold. That one, in magenta stockings and shirt underneath lime boots and an overcoat, contrasting against his navy blue skin and mauve hair. The decor was the same. Swirls of color and intricate designs that clashed with the curtains, the tablecloths, the walls, the cutlery, even the food. That, of course, as a mortal, couldn't really fill him up. It was a myriad of tastes, scents, and sights. Yet the view eventually tired his eyes, for they were static, much like the polite conversation he was being subjected to by his own fellow knights and ladies as they mingled with the bards and nobles. 
He missed the times when he used to go on delegations with Art and Quinn. The artisy had decided, since Art, Quinn, and Lance were quickly growing as a power triad, that they shouldn't all be sent on missions or delegations together to ensure the Council's strength. Quinn, inevitably, was absent from the majority of delegations because of her occasional adverse reactions to stake streaming. Oh, yes, we certainly must have the latest hollow movies from the round table go poor. They sound absolutely delightful. Gushed the lemon-yellow she debutante, with the amethyst eyes, turquoise hair, and triple-layered heavy brocade pastel pink, neon orange, and deep blue gown with cowl. They're all the rage, especially the ones about you, Sir Lance. She fluttered her lashes at him, and he wondered if it was possible to puke up food that he didn't technically eat. Abruptly, Lance stood and excused himself, much to her pouting disappointment, and strode quickly towards the restrooms. For the longest time, Quinn and he never knew if she actually could shit, but Art's first dinner party story finally confirmed it. Lance recalled Art's vague directions, and Lance eventually shut himself into an empty stall that looked like it had been carved from marble and gold. The toilet didn't so much look like a toilet as it did an upright casket that his body was supposed to fit into, and the interior was covered in tiny nubs. This was usually where Art's story ended, because he never had the nerve to use the facilities and shut himself into the toilet casket contraption. Lance pressed his forehead against one of the stall walls, wondering how his life got this way. He'd grown up in the factory at Sector 98, dreaming of battles and monsters and fairy, every fiber of his being wanting to be a knight. He had been the best squire of his factory, as Art had been of Sector 98, and when he had been adopted into the Round Table Corpor into House Lake, the age of 13, he dreamed of being able to go outside of Camelot's walls, see the grail, see the fair. Even when the first five years of squirehood ended up being utter bureaucratic drudgery, softened by his instant friendship and budding romance between him and Art and Quinn, Lance still clung fiercely to the notion that as soon as he became a knight, a world of adventure would open up. And sure, his first time bonding with his synth, piloting his steed and being shot out of the grail to battle dusk monstrosities in the toxic desert outside of Camelot's dome was one of the most exciting events of his life. And yes, his first time porting into fair and exploring Myrd, learning that bizarre and exhilarating freedom of sigil code and cypherspace made him feel fully alive. But those moments were rare. Knighthood was a series of long meetings, constant running and walking back and forth on his domiciled track, filling out forms and sheets and charts, testing out a synth for constant upgrades, discussing treaties, trades, supply shortages, sectoral politics. Occasionally, he would allow himself to be interviewed by a documentarian who would then write and produce a hollow movie to send out to domiciles that had filled out the appropriate paperwork. Quen had taken it upon herself to order every single one, and though Art found them so hilarious he squirted his drink out of his nose once, Lance found them awful. Perhaps he found them awful because they mocked his young squirehood dreams. They made his life out to be an overacted version of what he thought it would be. They held no resemblance to what he actually was doing. Could anyone blame him, 
that he had to walk away from it all once in a while, get lost in a tangle of flesh and passion, intrigue and lives not his own. Arden Quen had settled into the groove of their new lives, but Lance found it jarring and bitter. It didn't help that Art had his extra responsibilities and missions as the bearer of X's caliber, and Quen had her own Exian secrets with the underground track. Lance was just another boring old knight, and it irked him. They knew that about him, and supported his trysts, keeping it a secret from those that would be less supportive, like the rest of the RTC. Lance's fingers pressed a combination of sigils on his vest, a shortcut that opened a small square in front of him, glowing against the wall, making a soft pinging sound. When the call got answered, the ping stopped, and the square on the stall became a window that showed a naked-from-the-waist-up, flat-chested, androgynous fairy with striped black and blue skin, flame-shaped and colored hair, and eyes that shifted from hunter green to pale gold and back again, without any whites surrounding the pupils. That's a new sexy look, Lance purred. Cycles ahead of these stringers at this dinner party. Well, you know us bards, the fairy Anginade smirked. We're a class above. Lance snorted. You are far more fab fierce than any bard I've ever met, Tally. And you know that. It's just your own bard assness. Z flipped a wrist at Lance. Oh my, sir, someone looking for a booty call? I wish, babe. I need a favor. I have to stay the fuck out of here. That bad, huh? You need me to apologize for you as you walk out? Maybe sigil codes and fireworks that spell out fuck you? Lance laughed so hard he nearly wept. <laughs> oh, by the grail, I love your smart, tight mouth. Nope, I can't afford another walkout. Lady Lake is already pissed at the grades I got for my last delegation performance review. So, I need you to take my place. Tally's green-gold eyes widened. When you said favor, you really meant it, didn't you? I hate those frill-fuck affairs as much as you do, sweetness. What do I get out of hours of boredom when I could be making new program spells and breaking records at court? I will scan and give you a copy of Quen's new dress. Lance swore he could see Tally start to salivate. A mortal dress? A mortal dress, first of its kind in Camelot, so... I can guarantee no fairy has seen its like before. What's it look like? Well, you know Quen's taste in figure. She likes simplicity and flow. It heightens her cleavage and flares out. Giving a diagonal cut that shows off only one of her legs. It's two pieces of cloth, each the same color, but a different texture spiraling together. Shut your mouth. I want it. Tally snapped. I can change my figure to match hers. Maybe even grow my hair out a little. The window closed abruptly to be replaced by a green, glowing doorway that Tally walked out of. The fairy kissed Lance thoroughly, tongues tasting and exploring for a few seconds before Z resumed talking. And then maybe change my eyes to match the dress's color scheme? I can't wait to see you in it, Lance panted, a little breathless from the makeout. Tally rolled their eyes. You mean you can't wait to fuck me out of that dress? By Mirren's beard, I don't know how Arden Quinn keep up with you. The trick is they don't try to keep up with me. They just let me be. Tally just flapped and fluttered their hand at Lance again in a shushing motion, which smoothly transitioned to weaving sigil code while the bard sang under their breath. Slowly, Tally's skin turned blue-black, 
as her eyes deepening to darkest brown, as her hair spiking into platinum white with shaved sides. Then came the black leather trousers, the vest, the boots, and rake, in sword form strapped against her back. The final touch, a larger bulge in the pants. Lance winked. Thanks for the compliment. Tally sniffed. It's just a glamour. I haven't actually transformed. For you, I've kept your clothes. They're common enough. I just blurred your vest that it doesn't look like it's covered in sigil code shortcuts. Also, I've made your skin blue and your clothes, hair, eyes, and sword all tints of copper. I've also given you my hairstyle, if not as gorgeous colors. That should be enough to disguise you. Lance stared down at the glamour of blue on his skin, so strange and pale, it seemed wrong somehow, without the glorious melanin he loved. He looked back up at Tally and stroked the curves of their face, the face that now looked like what Lance saw in the mirror every morning. Narcissist, Tally quipped playfully. You ready to get out of here and dusk shit up? In response, Lance kissed Tally one more time while he shoved the stall door open. A few hours later. When Lance opened his eyes, he immediately summoned Lake into his hands. Relief flooded his system as he felt the hilt of the bastard sword hit his palms, and he cat sprung onto his feet to survey the damage. How by Sorcerer X's grave did this fucking happen? It had begun typically enough. Lance had asked Tally for the roughest part of Mirrod. Some grungy slum court big enough to have several gang wars, but small enough that Central Court didn't give two stringers about it. Tally had rolled their eyes, found the right port, and left Lance to walk through it while they hurried back to Central Court, to resume shoulder-rubbing and laughing at classist jokes. Lance's lake was in bastard sword mode, glinting in the sputtering streetlights as he strolled cockily down a piss-worn sidewalk waiting for a noob to pick a fight with him. Instead, a glammed-up sex worker struck up a sweet conversation that quickly turned sour when Lance admitted he didn't have any creds on him. Then she called in her muscle, a snarling crew of winged henches that got the drop on him from above, grabbing his sword and limbs ready to throw him against an alley wall. Right before he could summon Lake to his hand and possibly give away his cover, an abomination of grime and dried human blood, charred skin and sentient tar smashed into the alleyway from around the corner. The beast was huge and snake-like, the way the mechanical dusk monsters looked like on the screen from within the safety of Lance's steed. Except this was no mechanized horror somehow thriving in toxic deserts. It was a sinuous line of dirty nightmares with a screeching, gaping mouth boasting teeth that seemed to have grown within malicious underground caves than on child sacrifice. More incomprehensible to Lance's eyes was the girl riding the fucking thing, a splotch of softland brown on top of its vast back, wild purple curls and rage-filled eyes imprinting into his mind as she roared in defiance, glinting ribbons of all things coming out of her back in the hundreds and stabbing into the writhing creature like daggers made out of prismatic glass. He heard a fucking virus fuck from one of the hench wenches holding him, 
before she got sucked into the eyeless creature's multi-toothed maw, the others knocked out of the air and dropping Lance to the ground. He briefly went unconscious, and now here he was, standing, with Lake in his hands, grimly staring at disintegrating half-eaten limbs and pools of bright blue fairy blood, and the unconscious prone bodies of the fuchsia-skinned sex worker and the purple-haired human-looking girl. The faint sound of the wild hunt galloping away with the spark of the recently slain rang in his ears before he looked up at the monstrosity, its body rearing back as if to swallow all three of them in one go. A slow smile spread across Lance's face. Now this is why I left my domicile this morning. He sprinted forward and slid onto his knees, raising a sword above his head to slice the creature from underneath. It shrieked, recoiling and writhing away, but Lance pursued it, hacking at the wound he'd already inflicted, hoping he could get to the center and dismember it. The beast's tail caught him in the back and slapped the wind out of him, his left arm taking most of the impact as he fell. He quickly rolled onto his ass, ready to slash at what he knew would be an opportunistic strike, but instead witnessed ribbons wrapping round and round the creature's neck while it screamed louder, higher, desperate, the echoing sound of a warehouse full of beings that were beaten to death simultaneously. As he scrambled to his feet, the beast's head exploded in a shower of tar-like gore, revealing the purple-haired girl, a cold sneer on her face, her ribbons retreating behind her, into her. Their eyes locked, dark brown like his own. Hers were smaller and slightly tilted than his, her nose tiny, where his was large, her face round, where his was angular. There was a pause as they analyzed each other, and then the space between them vanished. Their bodies slammed together, tongues tasting sweat, lust, exhilaration, fingers clawing into hair and flesh. She rammed him into a wall, growling, and he responded by tripping her into a pool of blood, falling on top of her. Don't tell me you're a top, she grunted. Speaking for the first time, he was stirred by the velvet and steel in her voice, like the rough edges of melted-together daggers covered by a fine curtain. His paws gave her enough leverage to flip him, so that he found himself lying in the blood pool while she straddled him. I'm a switch, he admitted. You a top? Nope. Well, in that case, he bucked and threw her off. Just submit to me. She laughed as she rolled back to her feet. Not a chance, Stringer. I'm way more toppier than you, so you gotta submit to me. What the fuck does that mean? He snapped, standing. What if I don't feel like submitting? Then I guess you're not feeling this, though I'm open to consensual negotiation via wagers. Lance arced a brow. Lucky for you, I have a fetish for competitiveness. What's the stakes? I win, use that beautiful mouth to pleasure me any way I like it. You win, I bottom for you any way you like. The game, drinking. Lance snorted, thinking this was way too easy. Are you kidding me? I know what you're thinking, this half-breed is going to try to cheat me by using fairy rum or some shite while her human parts don't get fragged. Well, let me tell you something, noob. I ain't no cheater or liar, and I know a green dealer who makes a type of whiskey that'll burn a fairy's guts and leave a human crying in the gutter. Whatever your race code, I'll fuck up your chems proper. Lance grinned, thinking how beautiful she looked while she swore at him. 
stained dark blue with fairy blood. A few hours later. When Lance opened his eyes, he could only retch out air as he stared down at the bile and thick swirl of colors that must be the food he had eaten at Central Court for what seemed like ages ago. Coating the food was a scarlet whiskey he had been taking shots of every ten minutes until he had lost count. He steadied himself against the wall in the tiny back alley behind the pub he just lost face in. How by X's caliber did this happen? She'd pinged someone he couldn't see, someone named Crary, for the good shit, and taken Lance's hand, leading him into one of her favorite pubs called the Wild Cunt. The place was rife with gorgeous sex workers of every gender and genitalia imaginable, and the kind of clientele that he would totally fuck with the lights on in groups, but wouldn't want to meet in a dark passage alone. One of Crary's boys walked in 15 minutes later while they were nursing beers on the house, dropping off a large bottle of crimson whiskey and walking off again without a word. When the shot started, they were talking politics. Lance had mentioned being entangled in Central Court fragshit. Then they spoke of histories, revolutions, prophecies. What should be done, what shouldn't be done. Their viewpoints were pragmatic, yet had an undercurrent of hope that brought them together even as they hotly argued specifics. This moved into small court gossip that took a sharp turn into lost childhoods, old dreams, future aspirations, dark fears. She was holding on to his hand as he whispered of elder squires that shouldn't have touched him there. She confessed of the bottle's incessant solace and an emptiness too vast for her to look at, while he nodded in understanding. They chanted motivational slogans and breaking free from the past exercises that morphed into excited chatter about the thrill of the fight. She spoke of sparring with horned ones, and he retold battles with Averonian warriors. They murmured of Exian heresies, fairy creation stories, and human creation stories. They speculated the origin and future of changings. They lamented their greatest mistakes in love and compared favorite romantic and platonic dates. They were singing all the same songs, impossibly, finishing each other's lyrics, when he'd gotten up, confused at the pressure in his gut like he needed to piss, and then finding himself speeding for a door out into some tattered concrete that could cradle his vomit. As he wiped spittle from his chin, he looked up at her triumphant smug face, with her lidded eyes heavy with intoxication, and said, best two out of three you want to keep drinking she was laughing at him no something else let's let's play pickup when she agreed it took him three tries to get the right line of sigil code on his vest so he could gain access to a backup rejuve potion that healed his wounds from the fight and the chem induced alcohol poisoning when the potion materialized and he started chugging it, she arced a brow and just said, Impressive trick, Bardass. Cute red sigil code X on your back, BT dubs. Bet you're a real hit with the Averona. This time he chose the bar, the Bard's Mouth, billed as the biggest pickup establishment in Mirrd, 
one of the larger, well-trafficked courts. They walked through the door separately and took different sides of the building. She took the upper level, and he stayed in the main area. Lance figured that the best times he usually picked up was when he announced himself, so he used the shortcut on his vest to take off the glamour, and immediately the whispers and looks started. A server asked him if he needed anything, and Lance said, Sir Lance of Camelot would love some of your finest rum, if you please. That got the place buzzing. An extra drink sent his way with names and contact info etched into the liquid of the beverages. He had hit about seven pickups, pretty average for the first hour, when someone actually tapped him on the shoulder. He turned to smile hello and ask for contact info, but instead saw a flash of furious dark eyes and a tangled corona of violet hair before he got choke-slammed into a wall. Fucking liar! She screams. I fucking hate liars. What? He rasped out, clawing at her incomprehensibly strong grip on his throat. I'm challenging you to a dual shit stringer right fucking now, outside. It's midnight in five minutes. See you on the street if you're not a coward and a fucking liar. She dropped him and marched outside. He slumped to the floor, stunned, squeezing air back into his lungs. Whispers sprang around him of, was that the loom? And Sir Lance is going to fight the loom? He vaguely remembered that the loom was the equivalent of X's caliber and wondered if the girl was the fairy equivalent of art. If so, he'd never seen her at any diplomatic meetings, but her hair did remind him of Art's eyes. Lance painfully staggered back to his feet. He almost regretted the series of choices he had made this evening to lead him to this point. But as he stepped out into the night air, where most of the bar had now congregated to watch the duel, he felt a damnable rush pour into his veins. He unsheathed Lake, glimmering like shifting milk in sword form, and stared down the violet-haired Bane. I'm not a liar, he said calmly. In response, she bellowed an attack. The sound of her rage pierced his ears as he deflected blade-like ribbons aiming for his face. One of them grazed his jaw, and he felt a thin, warm trickle. I'm not a liar, he said again. The ribbons tried to trip him, but he leaped backward before they snared his ankles. She snarled, You're a fucking human, not a bard. I never said I was a bard. You never said you were human. You never asked. He sprinted behind her, constantly moving, so as not to be hemmed in by her ribbons. Fucking semantical frag shit. You glammed yourself off. You were looking to deceive people. That's lion shit right there. Fuck you. Another slice, this time on his shoulder. It stung, and Lance's own anger rose to the surface. What are you, some dust-damn racist, anti-humanist bigot? The fuck does it matter if I'm human or not? Because I'm falling for you, asshole. His body stopped moving as he gazed at the tears in her eyes. Critical mistake. A ribbon got him from behind, looping around each of his biceps and tying his arms together behind his back, immobilizing him. She kept ranting on as if she didn't notice. Do you have any fucking idea what it's like being half-mortal in the fair? 
what it's like being the fucking loom. I told you some shit at the WC, but that's just scratching the surface. The loom is cursed. A cursed fucking weapon. Forever forgotten by the fairy when the loom goes offline, and forever forgotten by mortals when they go offline. At least when I get back to the fair, everyone's memories of me are uploaded into them again, but with a fucking human? They're not going to remember to come back unless by some other reason, and only then will they remember. And fuck that. Fuck that life of waiting around and being forgotten, mooning about for folks. I ain't about that life. I would rather fucking, I would rather fucking kill your ass than be in love with you, you fucking human. The lake clattered to the ground, and the sound was enough to stop her tirade. That's a really shitty situation, Lance said into the silence, provoking her into a shock stare. I'm sorry that you're in it. Look, can we continue this convo elsewhere? Because I submit. You win. She looked into his eyes for a moment, and then the assembled fairy masses that spilled out from the bar's mouth held their collective breaths. Blue, the loom said. Port us to my suite in the central court palace. Lance heard a street filled with relieved cheering before his sight shifted blurred, and he found himself standing in thick ultramarine carpet, the loom's ribbons gone, her face in her hands as she sat dejectedly on a bed in front of him. He summoned Lake to materialize, sheathed on his back, and pulled a chair over so he could sit facing her. He gently stroked both her hands until she looked up at him. Let's start over, he began. My name's Lance of House Lake from Sector 1 of Camelot, though I grew up in Sector 98. I am human. I've got some kind of changing spark in me that makes it easy for me to port. I've got two long-term living lovers, Art and Quinn, and though they're both poly-fi with each other and me, I'm more anarchistic with my relationships. I have some casual lovers in the fair, and a more serious lover, Tally, who's high-barred Merle's protege. Art, Quinn, and myself are all on the roundtable corpore, and Art and me regularly go on diplomatic missions to Mirrod. He is the current bearer of X's caliber. I am committed to being a knight of Camelot, to fighting the dusk monsters outside of Camelot's walls, and maintaining harmonious relationships with the fairy. I'm also falling for you, platonically, romantically, sexually, every which way. I've never connected so fast and so powerfully with someone before, like I had with you tonight. I want to see you again, and see where this goes. Your turn. Her hands trembled in his. My name is Shalot. Call me Shall. I live in this place outside of Fair and Camelot, somewhere offline. I don't know where. It's called the Tower. I'm human there. I need to stay extreme to get into cyberspace. When I do, I have powers beyond most, if not all fairy. I am the weapon against the dusk. I am the fair's last hope. I am the weaver. I have a constant companion who takes care of me in the tower with primeware and online with cipher skills. His name is Blue, and he usually just talks to me, but he can make himself known to other folks when needed. It is my destiny to be the loom to hunt down and destroy Virai of the dusk within the fair. Despite that, I've got a lot of casual fairy lovers, but I've never dated a human. I do... I do want to see you again and see where this goes. But fuck, I don't want to be lied to. I... I don't want to be fucking forgotten. Shell's breath caught and she angrily snarled, biting back a sob. He squeezed her hands in response, a thoughtful look on his face. Shell, I... I have an idea. I've been saving up this comm ring for if I ever had to be away from Camelot for some kind of extended undercover mission, but I think there's a better use for it. 
I can ask Tally to compile the cipher prog needed for the comm ring and then use their connections to send a prime version to me in Camelot with instructions. A few months later, when Lance opens his eyes, his ring ports him immediately into Shao's suite at Central Court. She is waiting for him there, and he pulls her into his arms, stroking her curls as they relax into each other's bodies. I told you we can make this work, Lance murmurs. I missed you. Fucking cocky little bird ass, Shao mutters into his chest. I miss you too, though what I don't get she says as she pulls away to point behind him. Is why you brought someone with you? Do we schedule our first threesome and I totally forgot? Because, and we can wager on it, I wouldn't forget something like that. Lance whirls around and gapes at Quinn, who's waving at him with a sheepish grin, looking slightly queasy from steak streaming with her synth grants shining like a coronet in her dark hair. You're here, he sputters. I'm here. You followed me. I followed you. Stop repeating what I'm saying and tell me how- why- what the fuck, Quinn? I'm sorry, this isn't what I intended to happen. I wanted to pleasantly surprise you. Now it looks like I'm stepping over your boundaries and other fucked up shit like that, and I'm totally not. I wanted to go to the fair in my own personal business. He knew what that meant. Secret Exian stuff. And then surprise you and mirrored somewhere once you were done. I locked onto your ring coordinates with Grants, like the last time I got lost and mirrored, had to lock onto the caliber to find art, and instead of porting me nearby, it just ported me right behind you. Quen paused for breath, stepped around Lance, and offered her hand to Shell. I'm Quen, by the way. Nice to meet you. I like your hair. This is so totally awkward, and I'm sorry to inconvenience you. Shell looked quizzically at Quen's outstretched arm causing Lance to nearly pass out from fearful anticipation. Then Shao's face lit up, beaming with delight, finally cluing in to what was happening, and she shook Quinn's hand. I'm a hugger, BT Dubs, if you are. I've heard so much about you. Not an inconvenience at all. I'm a Lance's secret lover, I guess. He doesn't mean to make it a secret, it's just that I've got a curse on me that makes humans immediately forget my existence and any memories involving me when they leave the fair. Oh, that sounds so shitty. I'm so sorry. Well, that explains the ring. That whole mystery was so frustrating. I've been thinking about it for months, and I'm usually the best out of the three of us with figuring out this kind of stuff. But now I'm glad to know that it's a curse-alleviating love token. A lot better than the last mystery Lance wouldn't talk about. Did he tell you about the mysterious magic rock he picked up in a weird-ass pawn shop in Valancourt? Ugh, not Valancourt. That's one of the shadiest slums in Mirrod. I know, right? Well, he bribes one of the guards in the palace and keeps it there for a while because he can't figure out how to bring it offline. And the next time he's in the fair, we're all looking at the blasted thing and it starts to hatch right in front of us. No way. Don't tell me it was. Yes way. It totally was. Lance hadn't realized he was sitting, relaxed, with a blissed out smile on his face until he saw himself in the suite's mirror. It was probably the happiest he'd looked in a long time, as he listened to his lover's laugh and swap outrageous stories about him. A 
11 hours later. When Lance opens his eyes, it all slips away from him, leaving only tattered whisper feels, heart swells, joy. He's known for a long time not to try to hold on to it, so he lets it go, starts to wake up his body. He carefully unjacks himself from his chair and sees Quen doing the same next to him, giggling. He finds himself chuckling with her. Art is standing next to Quen, head cocked, a curious expression on his face. I came down to look for you folks. The council meeting's in an hour and you weren't at home or anywhere else in the RT. Where'd you go? What's so funny? Quen suddenly frowns as she wobbles into Art's embrace. You know, what the grail, I don't remember. It's okay. We'll both know eventually. Lance smiles. As he pulls off his ring and shows his lovers the inscription on the inside. Let's just say it's the fair's best kept secret. End of Loom Memory Fragments Warp Time Weft Love <laughs>